Napoleon Hill once said that strength and growth come only through continuous effort and struggle. Well, thank you, Napoleon Hill. That is so encouraging. You should be a motivational speaker. Listen, Grandpa Hill's just trying to look out for us because it's the truth 30, y'all. As creatives, as business owners, as those going the unconventional path, there are going to be struggles because, you know, we're already pushing this sinking envelope. When the struggle bus parks outside of your door, whether it's a bad day or maybe a bigger frustration, what do we do with struggle? I've always felt immense fear. I was born with several palsy. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. What's up, y'all? Welcome to today's episode If this is your first time listening. I'm Heather Parody. I am your host, and we're talking today about the struggle bus. The struggle bus parked outside of your house, my house. It's making its rounds, y'all. Maybe you're going through a big struggle, a little one, whatever it is. Sometimes there's shame wrapped around that. You know, if you were good at what you did, you wouldn't be struggling. Maybe if you were more confident or whatever, whatever, you wouldn't have an internal struggle. Sometimes we make the struggle about us and our work and our art, and that's because there's a stigma around it, but we're going to be trying to break that down today. We have Grace Marshall with us, who is an award-winning author and known for her, quote, refreshingly human approach to productivity. She's also known as a productivity ninja. So you know when you be a productivity ninja, you know how to deal with struggle, right? She has a new book called Struggle that just came out this month, and she was generous enough to spend a few minutes with us to encourage us on creative ways to deal with struggle. But uh, if she's a productivity ninja, why don't you want to study struggle? It was this one area that I noticed in so many conversations with friends, with colleagues, with clients. And yet it was the one thing that we don't talk openly about. Like we all have it. We all struggle, but we don't talk about it. Or if we do, they're very limited conversations. It's usually kind of like sideways glances and hushed tones and we go, oh, she's struggling or oh, I'm struggling. And so we talk about it with shame, with embarrassment, um, or sometimes we talk about it as a, oh, everyone struggles. So what are you moaning about? Um, so almost like we have to hustle on through. And I think that kind of typifies the sort of fight or flight response to struggle. And neither of them are actually that helpful. Okay, y'all, I'm going to interrupt this conversation just a couple of times, I promise. But when she's talking about struggle and our stigma towards it, I immediately started thinking about how we're kind of navigating right now uh, real life human us, you know, that person, <laughs> and also to uh, our online personas and trying to navigate how much struggle do we share, not share, how vulnerable do we be, do we not be? He goes, everybody's like, I'll be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable. Okay, cool. But the online space, the Wild West, y'all, it's scary enough being vulnerable, dealing with your struggle in regular life. And then you throw on user 694321. I mean, is this just me or is this, is it a struggle dealing with struggle online? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, so there's various things I've noticed. I've noticed the hustle culture. We are going to, you know, we're going to be the ones that work harder than anybody else. We are going to ride on through every single obstacle. Nothing is going to stop us. There is an energy in that that can be helpful, but the same energy can also lead to burnout. 
And the same energy can also lead to people trying to push to do something that fits somebody else rather than what actually fits them. And, and particularly, I think leaders who have that kind of energy around them tend to be, they tend to be magnets. They tend to draw people to them. But yeah, you end up with people going, oh, do you know what? I'm just not working as hard as that person. If I just got up earlier, if I just did more, then I would be successful rather than like, actually, what do I bring the t- to the table? You know, and, and so they, they end up kind of losing themselves in that process. Now, like Grandpa Hill, y'all know I call him Grandpa Hill because I feel like he's my real life grandpa. Maybe he was. Wouldn't that be cool? Like that quote we shared with Napoleon Hill at the beginning, strength and growth come through continuous effort and struggle. And I don't really get that, you know, because you think about Napoleon Hill, you think positive thinking, think and grow rich, law of attraction, all that. And homeboy's saying that growth comes from effort and struggle. I thought we just could think positively, right? I thought that we could just vibe in the positive energy. But Napoleon Hill was hanging his hat on this, this idea of struggle. What's the opportunity in struggle? What we tend to do when we look at struggle is we think it's a sign that something's gone wrong. Maybe something's wrong with us. Um, maybe I've taken a wrong turn. Um, so it, it's all about getting it wrong. Um, but I think there's an opportunity in the middle of that to go, what if we've got it all wrong about getting it wrong? You know, what if that crisis, that roadblock, that setback by blocking the conventional route, by blocking the familiar route that we would normally take, it forces us to look elsewhere. It forces us to be creative, to innovate. So we've seen that in the pandemic. Yeah, when we've had kind of businesses have suddenly come to a halt. It's like, you know, I do a lot of physical um, training. Like I, um, so I, I, I face-to-face training um, and all of a sudden that stopped. All the travel stopped, all the face-to-face stuff stopped. A lot of bookings were put on hold. And so all of a sudden, we then had to work out, how do we do this? And um, I was just talking to a colleague earlier that we had had those conversations before. We'd been talking about things like, hey, what would it look like if we did this modular instead of a full-day course? Hey, what would it look like if we did this online and virtual rather than face-to-face? And we talked about it, but we hadn't done anything about it. But when we weren't allowed to travel anymore and do things face-to-face, that's when we started going online properly. And we've done a bit, but we, that's when we started going on. So sometimes it's not until the conventional route is shut Come on. that we actually go, right, okay, now is the time to, to experiment and to try new things. And our tolerance for imperfection goes up when that happens as well, because everybody is experimenting. Everybody is doing it for the first time. So I think there's something about the way that we look at struggle, rather than seeing it as purely um, failure or setback or mistake, we can also see it as discovery, as learning, as adventure. And, and there's so much more to it if we can look at it with that lens of curiosity rather than the lens of fear. The lens of curiosity instead of the lens of fear. I love that she posed those questions. What would it look like if this? What would it look like if this were easy? What would it look like if this worked out? What would it look like if we did this a certain way? Curiosity instead of fear. But... But (laughs) easier said than done, right? What do we do in the moment when we are faced with struggle? That moment when we're frustrated and we notice the fears coming in, when our heart starts pounding, when the insecurities start creeping in. So um, I call it my, my three shits. The first is, oh shit, it's like recognize it. Just go like, take a moment to recognize the feeling, recognize what's going on. Too often we, we hit um, pain or danger or surprise with just like, I've got to do something about it. But just take a moment and go, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. 
<laughs> or that makes me feel a bit vulnerable or angry or hurt. You know, and just notice it, feel it, sit with it. And then the second stage is um, what is this shit? So that's when we start to reckon with like, what is going on here? And that's where we might recognize our fear of like, oh, I think this is, I think somebody's having a go at me here, but what if they're not? Yeah, what else could it mean? Because um, what we tend to do when we go into fear response is we assign a meaning to it. So we go, this is safe, this is dangerous, this means I, there's something wrong with me, or this means they're against me. And, you know, and that kind of reinforces that fight or flight instinct. But if we start to ask questions and start to activate curiosity, we can go, well, what else could it mean? What else, uh, what else is in this picture? So if somebody's just cancelled on you and you're like, damn it, I'd arranged a whole day around this. But actually, what does this free up my diary for? And then when we do that, the third stage is what I call holy shit. <laughs> it's the revelation. It's like, oh, there's something good in here. And it might not take away the thing that's bad or that's tough or that's tricky. The two things might coexist. But rather than just seeing the struggle, you're also seeing the opportunity at the same time. And then we can engage with it in a different way. I love that. You know, there's a lot of uh, emotional management in that. You know what I mean? Where you're yeah. only not only aware of your emotions, but you're not letting them, I don't know, dictate you. Man, when you're so angry and you're so frustrated, you said sparking curiosity. And I didn't know if you had any thoughts, tips, advice when you're feeling that heat and then switching that to curiosity. We need to slow ourselves down yeah. to begin with. We don't like um, that though. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because you've got that energy and you're like, I want that energy to go somewhere. So it might be finding somewhere else to channel that energy to begin with. Um, and you know, it, it's things like if you get really, if you're getting really emotional in an argument, right. And you want to punch someone's lights out, go punch a pillow. Um, I know it's, it's like a cliche bit of advice, but it really works because you're channeling that energy somewhere else. So it might be, I need to go take a walk or I need to go run. Um, I need to like pound the streets and, and just kind of take that energy, but give yourself space where you're able to grapple with it rather than like, I've got to throw it somewhere. Um, anything you can do to slow yourself down. So a weird trick that I found, um, and I found this when I was, um, when I'm in an argument with my husband, the two of us are really, really different. So when I get into an argument, I get emotional, I get expressive, I get louder. Whereas he goes really cold, really quiet. He withdraws, he stonewalls. So we're complete opposites in that. But also he has a history um, in, in his childhood um, where basically when things get loud and emotional, he will shut down. You know, it's basically a high functioning panic attack because it doesn't look like a panic attack. It looks like he's being cold and calculating and really horrible. But actually what's going on inside him is just like, it's too noisy, shut down, shut down, shut down. So one really weird thing that I found that helps me to slow down and quiet down is to balance on one leg. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing, but it came, the idea came from, um, my yoga teacher who once mentioned, she said, now did you, you know, she got me to balance and then she's like, and did you just, did you think about anything just now? What was going on in your brain? I was like, absolutely nothing. I was focused on that one point that you told me to look at and I was trying to stay still. Um, and it, it was such a weird thing because that kind of occupies your mind, um, or at least it does for me. It occupied my mind enough that it was giving it something to do whilst slowing everything else down. 
so that I could then go, ah, yeah, no, I need to, I need to listen here or what's actually going on. Then I can start asking some of those questions. You can give it a try and see if it works for you, but it definitely works for me. And then the other thing that I, I find is to name it. So for, for this thing with my husband, this panic attack, even naming that as panic, you know, changed how I felt and how I responded to it. It's like, if I think you're panicking, my first instinct isn't to defend myself. My first instinct is go, oh, okay, we need to, we need to calm down here. I need to show you that, that this is safe. And then we can have a conversation about it. And even for him being able to name going, okay, your volume's going up here, or I need some quiet, or can I take five? So even just being to name something helps to, helps us to notice it. And it helps the rest of our brain to come back online. Um, and to catch up and then we make better decisions that way rather than just using that kind of limbic brain that's that's just about fight or flight. You said the word safe mm. and that hit something in me because when you think about struggle, essentially what we're doing is we're, you know, it, it feels a little unsafe. It feels vulnerable. It feels weak. And so we start really tapping into something a little bit deeper there about what does this mean for me as a human? What does this mean for my business? What does this mean about my marriage? Right? Like it kind of goes in a little bit deeper when we start thinking about struggle because it almost feels like a, a threat to our safety, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and that's exactly what's happening biologically is that when when our fight and flight response is activated, what's essentially going on is our brain is going, whoa, there's a threat here. I may not be safe. Therefore, I need to look for either the weak spot in my opponent or the escape route so I can make myself safe. And it activates not just when we're facing a physical threat, but when we're facing an emotional threat, a threat to our identity, um, when just we're facing uncertainty. So this whole past year, we've had, I wouldn't say our, our limbic system, our lizard brain has been on, on um, hyper mode because there's been so much change. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I definitely noticed that in certain times when there's so much going on, you're like, whoa, what's going on now? What's going on now? Even if like, I know logically where I am right now, I'm not under threat. Um, I've, you know, we've got reserves in the business. My, you know, we're not on the breadline, like all of those things. I'm, I'm okay. But because there's so much change happening, I noticed that I could find myself responding to an email drops into the inbox. And it's something unexpected. It's a curveball. And I'm re re reacting to that with like, whoa. Yeah, I'm reacting to that as if it's a threat, as if another thing has just been like thrown at me. Um, and actually, it's not. It's just something unexpected. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I wasn't expecting that response or I wasn't expecting this thing to come up today. What, what have you learned about struggle through study and struggle that you were shocked about? That's a really good question. I'm not sure what my answer is to that. I think I've learned so much that it's been just been fascinating because so much of it has been like, oh, this explains, like explains so much. Yeah, when we understand the mechanism of it, it's like I could I can go back to conversations I've had and go, oh, yeah, that explains why that conversation went so badly. Or this explains why I lost so many hours to procrastination over here. So I think for me, it was more almost pieces putting, like putting pieces in place, like the pieces falling into place of going, this gives me a way of understanding what's going on. And therefore it gives me a way of navigating it differently. So if I can remind myself, if I can notice it in the moment, if I can name the shit <laughs> and name yeah. the struggle, but then, you know, then activate that curiosity and, and go, 
okay, so what if, what if it's completely fine that I'm in this place? What if it's completely fine that I don't have the answers? You know, what if this uncertainty that's ahead of me isn't a sign that I don't know what I'm doing, but a sign that we're about to go into new territory. Mm-hmm. And then we can almost take on a different role then. So I don't have to be the person who has all the answers. Yeah. I can yeah. be the pioneer. I can be the adventurer. The whole point is to find out new things and to have new experiences right. rather than to have the same ones. And that's a completely different energy, right? To be able sure. to go and go, this is an adventure rather than this is a threat. In your work in productivity, you really advocate for leaning into your style, your personality, all of that. Um, aren't you like a, a, you do disc assessments and stuff yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we handle struggle differently according to our personality? Oh, good question. I think I think we probably do actually. I haven't I hadn't actually started making those connections. But like say for example in conflict situations, you typically you have your rhinos and your hedgehogs, right? You have so I'm the rhino. I will go charging in like something is wrong. You have to tell me what's wrong. You know, you looked at me funny there. So like what's going on there? And I want to I want to find that resolution and I want to get that resolution by charging ahead. My husband's a hedgehog. He's not he's like a cactus. He's so prickly. Um, but like his thing is like, "Whoa, something's wrong. I don't want to be hurt by that, so I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to stick my prickles up." You know, and, and so he he will take the flight option rather than the fight option. Um so I think there's a bit of that involved in terms of personality. Um and equally maybe there's a bit of that involved in terms of how we face so is it that we you just try and push ourselves harder or is it more that we're likely to go oh this is a sign that we've gone wrong let's just go back to what's safe redefining struggle in our own lives that's one bit but also being the friend the partner the parent to someone who's struggling and figuring out how to properly be there be the best support for them in that, your best friend, whatever it may be, when you're the bystander of the struggle and seeing it and experience it. Do you have any thoughts around around just doing that (laughs) in the best way? Absolutely. So I, my natural go-to is I'm the fixer. Like I, I like being able to fix things for people. Yeah. And, And most of the time that's a useful skill to have. Um, but there are times when it's not, there are times where say with my kids, that actually what they need from me, what they need, especially as they're getting older, is they need to know that they can fix things for themselves. And so when they say to me, mommy, this is hard, if I say to them, no, honey, it's not that hard, let me do it for you. What they hear is it shouldn't be this hard. I shouldn't be struggling with this. And you know, next time they come across something that they find hard, their internal conversation is going to be like, oh, no, I'm in this place again where I shouldn't be finding this hard and I'm struggling. Something's wrong with me. Um, so what they need to hear from me more often isn't, it's not hard. Let me do it for you. It's, yeah, it is hard. I get it. That sucks or that does hurt. They need to know that I find things hard too and that, that that's okay. And that's normal and that we can do hard things, to borrow a phrase um, that I use a lot from Glennon Doyle, like we can do hard things. And again, that turns it around. So suddenly, if you're in that place and you're going, oh, this is a hard thing, rather than going, oh, run away, this is, yeah, this is unsafe. You suddenly go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is hard. Okay, so I'm expecting it to be painful. I'm expecting it to be tough, but I know I can do hard things. Yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I've been, well, I just got off Clubhouse because it was giving me anxiety, but- 
when I was on Clubhouse, random observation I had was anytime someone would like kind of come up on stage and be a little bit vulnerable, I noticed that, you know, people would come in and give their advice and try to fix everything. And immediately that person, I saw this over and over again, immediately that person would kind of backtrack and be like, oh, well, it's really not that bad. I understand what you're saying. It's not that big deal. And they would kind of come back and defend, you know, Mm -hmm. their vulnerability because of all these people kind of preaching at them. And I saw both sides and I felt so, I guess, empathetic towards that because I was like, they feel bad, you know, because they were vulnerable and people kind of came in and acted like they all knew better than her. Yeah. 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 So I guess like receiving, like not rushing through your struggle just because it feels bad when these people come and try to fix you Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be misunderstood. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think yeah, at the heart of like why we why we struggle with struggle is th- is that vulnerability. You know, so if if we're worried like, oh, does this mean that there's something wrong with me? And then the response from other people is, hey, let me fix that for yep. you. It's yeah. gonna yeah. it's gonna reinforce that absolutely. Yeah, and that perpetuates that perpetuates the taboo around struggle as well. Yeah, you know, what I. I'm learning to do for myself um, when I notice other people in struggle, particularly friends as well, because um, you actually nobody really wants someone to come in and just be the fixer. 100%. You know, what we want, yeah. what we want actually is we want people to to be a witness. We want company. We want people to go. We see you. We hear you. We're with you, and we can hold that space for you to grapple with this. And also by doing that, you're kind of saying there's nothing wrong with you grappling with this. Like this is right where you need to be. So grapple away and we're with you. So in terms of how I respond to somebody in struggle, I want to be the person who, and sometimes I, I get it wrong as well. Sometimes I might go, oh, oh, this sounds like something I can help with. Let me give you something. But what I'm trying more and more to do is to just go, yeah, I hear you. Tell me more about that. And, you know, and, and then that you know, helps, you know, that makes, makes it okay for them to talk about it. And I guess sometimes it's like, can I offer a, a suggestion or can I offer an opinion? And yeah, that gives them the opportunity to go, actually, what I'm, I don't need any opinions right now. <laughs> you know, I'm just, let me just talk this through first. Yeah. Cause sometimes I'm like that. If I'm, if I'm talking things through, part of the benefit of talking it through is to hear myself say it, is to hear myself articulate it and figure out. And it might not be, I need an answer to this. It might just be, I just need to hear myself say this. And then what I'm noticing is this. So I guess questions like, you know, tell me more, help me understand. That's interesting. What's going on there for you? And what are you looking for in that? And what would be helpful to you right now? Those are really good questions to kind of sit with somebody and not have to offer to fix. Yeah. And I guess if I'm on the other receiving end, if I'm having that advice hurled at me, and if I'm wanting to change that, if I'm not just wanting to kind of shut off and go, I don't want to listen to you. I guess if I want to change that conversation, maybe for me, it would be saying things like, hey, thanks so much for being willing to help. Like, thanks so much for like jumping in. Just give me a moment here. I'm not at the point where I'm ready to look for solutions. Is it okay if we just explore some of some more around the thing first before we jump to solution mode? Um, maybe that might give me a bit more space in that moment. You'd be a great therapist. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, as a compliment, great questions. That's beautiful. Wonderful. All right, y'all make sure that you connect with Grace over at gracemarshall.com and also pick up her book, Struggle. All of that is linked in the show notes. But before we go, I had to ask her, is there anything else she wanted to say about this topic for a group of creative, unconventional leaders? Yeah, it's getting the conversation started. 
So it's not about having all the answers. It's just about getting the conversation started. I don't have all the answers. I've written a book on it, but I still don't have all the answers. Um, But what I really want to do is start new conversations about struggle. Let's just start a conversation. Well, y'all, let's do it. What are you struggling with right now? What opportunities might be in the midst of that? If you want to talk, if you want to brainstorm with other unconventional leaders, find us over in our Facebook group, Unconventional Leaders. We have 5,000 plus other creatives over there itching to talk to you about it. Again, that is Unconventional Leaders over on Facebook. Again, also linked in the show notes. We love you. We're cheering you on. See you soon.